Well, good morning. It's been a while since I've actually uh, got to preach. So, I'm actually, believe it or not, I'm, I'm a little bit nervous. Uh, part of it is just simply the text, what we're going to be looking at. And today, what I'm going to be doing, and this is somewhat of an introduction, I'm going to be starting, I guess you could call it a series, on, I'm going to be going through the attributes of God. And uh, today we're going to be, if you've got your Bibles, you can open them up to Psalms 46, that's what I'm going to be covering this morning. And I just want to say this, um, when I visit with Christians today, and I don't mean in my church particularly, but when I'm just out and about and I visit with other believers that profess to be believers, there's there's something that is, is just glaringly wrong that we see in the church today, and it is a, a an incredible lack of of knowing the God of Scripture. We have things like, I'm not going to get into this too much, just like right here, but things like the shack is coming out. It's probably a really interesting book. It's probably done well as a movie as far as the cinematography and all that good stuff. But I see so many Christians... One guy read to me a little comment and said, Oh, thank you, Papa, for your gracious love. If you're not familiar, Papa is the figure in the book that represents God the Father, who is also a, a African-American woman. And so there's some real problems with knowing who God is. And I want you to understand this. If we don't know who God is, then you're not going to really understand who you are as a Christian. You're not going to really understand your place in the Lord. And so, with that being said, I want to go to the Lord in prayer, and we will begin. Father, this morning, I, I stand in need of your grace, Lord. God, I, I realize that I can do nothing outside of you working in me and through me as just an, a tool, an instrument in your hand. And so, Father, this morning, my greatest desire, God, is that I could be clear in order, God, that your truth could be proclaimed and that, God, that you would be glorified and that Christ would be exalted. And I pray for everyone here, God, that you would shake us, God, to, to awaken us, Lord, out of, a, out of a sleep. That, God, that we may hunger and thirst after you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In Psalms 46, Psalms 46 is broke up into three sections. Verses 1 through 3 is one section. Verses 4 through 7 is the second. And then 8 through 11, that's the, that's the entire psalm. And so when he starts off here, the writer writes and he says, God is our refuge and strength. Now, I, right there, I could probably do an entire sermon just on that. Church, what I want us to understand today is to know the God that we serve. Because when we're going through the attributes of God, and what an attribute is, it is simply the characteristics of God, how God in His Word has described or revealed Himself to us, that we can understand Him 
the way that he has described himself. It is how it is the, the, the characteristics of God that he has attributed to himself. And so when he says God is our refuge and our strength, church, listen to me. We live in a time that, that we operate and I don't know if you, how many of you are on Facebook. I think a lot of you. I mean, a lot of us do that. I'm not so sure about all that. But I want to ask you this question. I put it on Facebook the other day, but I want to ask you again. Do you live your Christian life as a reaction to things that you read on social media, the things you hear on the news? Is it, is it because of what you see in the newspaper? If you're a college student, is it because what your professors try to tell you about how the world really is and you're reacting? I mean, I even see it amongst believers doing the work of the Lord. We see, oh, there's a disaster here. Let's all run here or let's run here because there's nobody. Folks, we, we spend Hours upon hours upon hours listening to voices and noises that the world has to offer. Have you ever heard about the guys that say, I prayed eight hours a day? Has anybody ever heard that? The, the old time guys, you know. Eight, man, you, you hear that and you go, eight hours. Another one's like, well, I pray four hours in the morning. I get up at two in the morning and I pray from two to six. And then I start studying the word of God. And we're going four hours. But if I said, how many of you spend 10 hours a day on Facebook? Amen, Ron. How many of you spend 10 or 12 hours a day playing the, the latest games? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're getting it today. How many of you spend hours upon hours upon hours watching football or baseball or basketball? We have no problem spending hours upon hours doing all kinds of things, listening to all kinds of noise. And then... Then when things threaten our country, when things come in and we're going to be, you look over in Europe, Islam is taking over France, Islam is taking over England, Islam's venturing into Ireland, and we start panicking, right? And we start reacting. What I want you to know is God is our refuge it's a picture of the, the, the strong towers, the towers of refuge that would be at a city when enemies would attack. Do you know what these towers of refuge were? It was a place that you could flee to for security, for safety. And these towers were where you could lock them from the inside, but there was no, nothing on the outside to get in them. And the enemies would come and they would be surrounding you. But you were in this tower of refuge where there were plenty of, of food and drink and nourishment and safety and security. He's not only our refuge, but he's our strength. What I want you to get out of this today is our life needs to be lived not as a reaction to what all the noise is saying, but our life needs to be lived as an action from spending time with God. That we do spend time in prayer. We do spend time in His Word. And instead of reacting to what everything's saying, we start acting upon what God is leading and telling us to do. That's the way the Christian life should be lived. Now, he says, He is our refuge and our strength. I will tell you this. 
any, any believer who thinks that they have accomplished anything on their own is acting as a fool. Every believer knows. I mean, listen to your own testimony sometime. How did you become a Christian? God, God saved me. How did you get the Holy Spirit? God gave it to me. Well, how did, how, did you, uh, how did you start preaching? Well, God gave me a gift. How do you preach? God enables me. How did you start praying about doing that? I don't know. God just put it in my mind. Our testimony is God is doing, God is doing. And even when we accomplish things, we go back and we, if on, in all honesty, we'll say, I don't know how it happened. God did it. God is our refuge and he is our strength. Therefore, he says, we will not fear. I want to ask you something, Christian. Should Christians fear? That's a strong one, isn't it? I will tell you this. If you don't understand who God is, your life will be enwrapped in fear. But if you really start understanding and searching and pursuing who God is in His Holy Scripture, you will understand how He describes Himself. He, listen, now I don't know if this is accurate, so I probably shouldn't say it, but I, you know me, I'm probably going to anyway. In the movie, Facing the Giants, there's a scene in the movie where the coach of the football team, his coach from his days, comes in and give him a, a kind of an encouragement. Man, I'm really proud of you. And he says, the Bible records 365 times, fear not, one for every day. Now, I don't know if that's accurate. I'm just going to assume there. But it doesn't matter if it just says it 20 times. God says, fear not. Do not be afraid. Parents, have you ever been with your children, especially small children? You get, you're at the zoo and you see animals or you're on a hiking deal and you're by a, a, a pretty good drop-off and you're wanting to you know, hold them up so they can see it and, man, you can just feel them like a cat trying to throw them in water. They're backing up. And you're saying, don't be afraid, I've got you. God is constantly telling us, do not fear he says, therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed. And though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, and though its waters roar and be troubled, and though the mountains shake with, with its swelling. What, what is he describing here? He's describing things that we think of as immovable, as, as unshakable. He's, we're looking at, listen... How many people have thought for so long, what, what's the campaign through this whole election? Let's make America great again, right? You remember this country that was the most powerful country the world has ever known in all of history. That's our bragging right, right? And we got other countries that will even attest to that. Nobody could take America down, right? But everybody remembers that infamous 911 day. When the Twin Towers went down, when they tried to fly a plane into the White House, gas pumps were miles long, people in absolute panic mode. Nobody knew what the future held. 
He's talking about the Christian. We will not fear. Even though the earth is removed. Even though mountains be carried into the midst of the sea or the heart of the sea. When we, when, folks, we used to live in Montana. I mean, when you see the mountains in all their majesty. I mean, it's just incredible. And I mean, there's just something that we think of is that there's no way you can move this. It could be your nation. It could be your jobs. It could be the way you look at your parents or the things you see in your children. And, and basically what he's saying is when all of these things that we esteem is impossible, there's nothing could ever. Remember the famous saying on the Titanic on its maiden voyage? I don't know if it was true in the movie. Not even God himself could sink the Titanic. It just took an iceberg. And it's sitting on the bottom of the ocean tonight. Those things that... What, what's going to happen, folks, if our country does flip over on its head? What are you going to do? I want you to understand something. If you are born again, your first calling, your first vocation is I'm a Christian. I see so many Christians say, well, I'm this, and I'm going to use it in my Christian life. That's nothing wrong with that. But I want you to understand... But if that's the way you emphatically live your life, you're wrong. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was an actual medical doctor, and God called him into the ministry, and that was his highest priority. Your highest calling, your highest vocation is you are first a believer in Christ, and you follow Him, and that only happens from spending time in Him. In prayer, in His Word. You don't say, I'm going to be a phone man first and I'll be a Christian while I'm doing that or I'm going to be a cowboy first or I'm going to be a motorcycle rider first. They have churches for those folks now because that's what they are first. So, He says, when all of these things, He talks about when The waters roar and they be troubled. He could be talking about the oceans swelling like a storm, like a hurricane. One of the most fearful things that you can encounter. Things that would overwhelm you. He says, though the mountains shake with its swelling. Anybody ever experience this stuff? The truth of the matter is we, we do experience these things, but most of the time, folks, in all honesty, comparatively speaking in life, it's usually small things. This check bounced. What happened? I can't change my class at school. What am I going, whatever am I going to do? It is incredible how fast we can come unraveled at the slightest hint of a little ripple in our life. The other day as I'm studying this. And I'm praying about this. I'm at work. And I'm starting to panic. Because we've got trouble coming in after trouble. I do installation and repair at work for a phone company. 
Our boss was gone from Wednesday through Friday, and every trouble we got was taking a day and a half to do. And we're getting three on top. We're not even getting one done and getting three more. And I'm starting, I, I can feel the panic setting in. And all of a sudden it hit me. Lord, I can't deal with this. What am I talking about? I just took a deep breath and relaxed. So I can only do what I can do. And I just kept praying all through the day. And then he says this in the psalm. It says, Selah. You know what that means? Pause. Meditate. Think deeply about what we just read. Is God really your refuge? Is God really your strength? Or do you find that you're tired and you're weary and you've been carrying a burden for a long time because you are constantly trying to figure out how to make things work, how to get ends meet, how to, to get everything to, to pan out perfect in your life? <coughs> Something to think about. But look what he says. In the midst of all this, he says in verse 4, he says, There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God. The holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. When he talks about river, what, what does a river represent in the Old Testament? When It represented life. It represented peace. It represented uh, uh, fruitfulness, blessings. He's saying that even though mountains fall into the midst of the sea, even though... The waters roar, even though the, the earth is moved and mountains shake. He said, in the midst of the city of God, the rivers, they, they make glad the city of God. There's life there. What, is, what does that mean to us? Does anybody remember the story of the woman from Samaria that went down to get water at the well? Jesus had a divine appointment that day. He said, I, I need to go through Samaria. They, Jews didn't go through Samaria to go from the southern part to the northern part. They went all the way around because Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. But Jesus shows up around noon. A woman comes at noon to draw water. Women didn't come to draw water at noon. They came early in the morning when it was cool or they came in the evening when it was cool. A woman was a She's just a sinner. I mean, even in Samaria's standards, she was a bad person. The women wouldn't have nothing to do with her. But Jesus had a divine appointment that day. And he said, can you give me something to drink? And she's just like, why are you talking to me? I'm a woman from Samaria. You're a Jew. Why would you be talking to me? And he said, well, if you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for some water and I would give you water that would be a well springing up into you and into eternal life. Now, I know I'm paraphrasing a little bit. What he's saying here is this. For the Christian, we have that well of water springing up. God has placed 
His Holy Spirit within every believer. And because of that, He says, we will not fear when everything's going wrong. Let me ask you something. How well do you know God? What would you tell people about Him? Would you really tell Him He's your refuge? Would you really tell tell people He's your strength? Would you tell people that Though all of these things, all these calamities would happen in my life, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to fear. I'm not going to be anxious. It is such a testimony to an unbelieving world to see Christians go through hard times. Randy talks about his friend Gary Carter. No, yeah, Gary Carter. When he was dying, he's the same age as Randy. Died, what, five years ago? The nurses up there said, what a testimony. He's young. You know what? He had just gotten married a few years before that. And guess what? She was expecting their first child. And he knows he's dying. And in the midst of dying, just married, the first child on the way, the only child for him on the way, he is praising and glorifying God. You know what he's not in? He's not in fear. Because he had the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit made that gladness in his heart. And he goes on and he says, he says, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. Do you know who you are today? Do you know that as a believer you are the temple of the living God? Back then he was talking about when, when he, he told Moses, he said, I want you to build a tabernacle that I may dwell in the midst of my people. I want you to build it in this way. Everything about the tabernacle is a picture of Christ in some way. And then when he told him, when he got it all finished and it was all built, he says, now I want these three tribes on the east side, these on the south, these on the west, and these on the north. And I want the Levites to take care of all the things of the tabernacle, and I'm going to dwell in the midst of my people. Church, do you know that God dwells in the midst of us, His people? Do you know that today? There's a part of me that wishes I could come down and just shake everybody and just say, are you awake? Do you, are you listening? Do you know? And I include myself in that. He says this, God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved, God shall help her just at the break of dawn. And he says this, he said, the nations raged, the kingdoms were moved, he uttered his voice and the earth melted. I mean, have you ever thought about that? Psalms 2-1 talks about why do the heathen rage, why do the nations rage? I'm going to read something to you, and I'm going to try to be brief for time's sake. But if you got your, if you got your Bibles really handy, you can flip fast, go over to Isaiah chapter 36. Isaiah chapter 36. Now I'm going to start at, at verse 13. 
There's going to be six sections that right here, and I'm going to be quick about it. The first one is this country called Assyria. They threaten Hezekiah and Jerusalem. Let's listen to what they do. It says, Then the Rabshakeh stood. And the Rabshakeh wasn't a name. It was like a, it's like a general. Am I right, Randy? It's not like a commander of an army. And um, he stood, and he called out with a loud voice in the Hebrew. Now, the reason he's, he's, yelling, he's shouting in the Hebrew tongue was the people that were inside the city had just come out. And they said, look, just speak to us. We'll tell Hezekiah. And he says, no, I want everybody to hear this. And he says this. He says, hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, do not let Hezekiah deceive you. Listen, for he will not be able to deliver you, nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying the Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. I mean, what's he saying? He's saying, don't believe Hezekiah. He's not going to be able to save you. He's not going to be able to deliver you. And why is that? Look down in verse 18. He says, beware lest Hezekiah persuade you, saying the Lord will deliver us. And then he asks a few questions. He says, has anyone of the gods of the nations delivered its land from the hand of the king of Assyria? He said, where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvaim? Indeed, have they delivered Samaria from my hand? He says, who among all the gods of these lands have delivered their countries from my hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand? You know what he's saying? Don't be deceived. We're going to conquer you. Don't listen to Hezekiah because he's not going to be able to deliver you. Look around at all the countries that we've destroyed. And I want you to understand something about the Assyrians. They didn't just come in and beat you down. No. They would do things like they would skin you alive. And they would stake you to the ground and let the vultures and the scavengers come eat you until you were dead. And history teaches us that villages would commit mass suicide knowing that the Assyrians were coming. It was much better for you to take your own life than to fall into the hands of the Assyrians. Now, he's got this enemy that's out there. Now, they, have, they far outnumber Jerusalem. Okay, they far. He, he tells them in one time, he says, I'll tell you what. We'll give you horses for you guys to fight, you know, to ride on and fight. with Horses meant power. He says, we'll give you horses if you got enough men to ride them. You know what he's saying? He said, we got you outnumbered. We're more powerful. Nobody. They're all praying to their gods, and their gods haven't delivered them. He's basically saying, who is your God that he's going to deliver you out of my hand? Remember, though mountains are moved, though the waters roar, though the mountains shake, though the earth is moved, and he said, we will not fear. What would you do? If you were there, what would you do? Well, you know what Hezekiah does? Hezekiah sends a message to Isaiah, and he says, you need to seek the Lord for us. And Isaiah does it. Listen to this. Isaiah taught the message he sent to Isaiah went something like this. In 37, verse 3, he said, This is a day of trouble and rebuke and blasphemy, for the children have come to birth, but there's no strength to bring them forth. He's saying it's, it's, it's about to go down. And we don't have any strength to win. We can't win this unless God is with us. 
And he says, therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. And I'm kind of skipping through. I've got things highlighted in my Bible, so I'm kind of cheating. And in verse 6, it says, Isaiah said to them, he says, thus shall you say to your master. He's talking about King Hezekiah. He says, thus says the Lord, do not be afraid of the words which you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Surely I will send a spirit upon him, and he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. I bet almost everybody in here loves the movie Braveheart. Because Braveheart is the way we like to do stories. Here you got a country being dominated and ruled, and here's the enemy, and they're strong and powerful, and it's like, freedom, you know, fight to the death, you know, that kind of stuff. Here's the way this movie plays out. We're going to conquer you. We're going to skin you alive. Don't let Hezekiah deceive you by these words. I promise you, your God can't deliver us either. They, 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 they listen, he says, uh, he told him, he said, I'll send a spirit of, upon him. He'll hear a rumor. He'll return to his own land. Verse 8, the Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria warring against Libna, for he heard that he had departed from Leches. And the king heard concerning Tirhaka, the king of Ethiopia, he has come out to make war with you. And so what do they do? They hear a rumor, and what do they do? They, a bunch of them return home, right? But he's going to continue threatening through here. He says, don't let your God in whom you trust deceive you, saying, Jerusalem shall not be given to the hand of the king of Assyria. Look, he says, this is verse 11, look, he says, you've heard what all the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands by utterly destroying them, and shall... And shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered those whom my fathers have destroyed? Gozan, Haran, Rezeph, the people of Eden who were, who were in Telassar. Where is the king of Hamath, the city of Arpad, and the king of the city of Sepharvam, Hena, and Iva? And listen to this. And Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up. To the house of the Lord. Now he's been threatened again. And he spread it before the Lord. And listen to this. This is important. You don't want to miss this. Then Hezekiah prayed to the Lord saying. I'm not going to read all the prayer just for time's sake. Well, no, I will. He says, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone. Of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. You're the only God. You're the creator. You're not just a God here. You're, you've created it all. He says, incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see and hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the, the living God. Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste, have, have laid waste all the nations in their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods but the work of men's hands, wood and stone, therefore they destroy them. Now, therefore, O Lord, our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord, you alone. And Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, because you have prayed to me against the natural king of Israel. Then God begins to tell him what he's going to do. Turn your Bibles to, to the end of that chapter in verse 36. I'm going to finish it. 
because you prayed to the Lord your God. This is what I'm going to do. And he tells him, and then he says in verse 36, he says, Then the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when the people arose early in the morning, there were corpses all dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went away. He returned home and remained at Nineveh. Now it came to pass, as he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch, his god, that his sons, Adremelech and Sherezer, struck him down with the sword, and they escaped into the land of Aragad, and then Esarhaddon, his son, reigned in his place. Here's the answer to your question. Who is your God that's able to deliver you out of my hand? This is him. He whispers a rumor in your ear and you return home. You show back up and he kills 185,000 of you in one night. Just the angel of the Lord. You return home. You're worshiping your demonic false God and your two sons kill you. That is our God. That is why we as Christians are told do not fear. Do not fear. You see, the nations raged, the kingdoms were moved, he uttered his voice, and the earth melted. Do you remember in Acts 4? The disciples, the apostles were out preaching. They brought him in. They threatened him. They said, don't speak in his name no more. Now, we read that, and we just think, hey, you better, you better stop, you know. No, I, it was a threat. It was something as if the police entered into our church house this morning with, I mean, ready to, to handcuff me. You know, anybody would be doing this. What would you do? Would you start, like, backing and running? Like, what's going on? What if 10, 12, 15, 20 cops came in here? The authority. I'm not, I'm not bad, man. I'm just saying, if that's the way it was, and they tell us, you can't do this no more. You're not going to preach this no more. What's going to happen, church, when our country says, it, like Canada, it is illegal to preach against homosexuality? Do you know there was a pastor up there that, dealing with Islam, they were, Muslims were, you know, doing their deal. They, had, they were given these freedoms to do this. And this pastor simply said, it doesn't seem fair that they're able to do that and we can't voice our, you know, what we believe. He was put on three years probation. Fined, I can't remember what, and threatened. I mean, it was, I mean he might have went to prison, actually. I can't remember this, how it went. You can kind of look it up. But what's going to happen? Are we going to back away from what our God has said? Are we going to back away from truth? Or are we going to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? And say, King, we're not careful to, to give you an answer to your demands. We're not bound down. You can throw us in the fire. Our God will deliver us. But guess what? If he doesn't, we're not bound down. We're not bound down. Now, I say that. Do you know God in a manner that you can wholeheartedly say amen to that? Do you know that? Then he says this. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. 
the Lord of hosts. Now, the last time I preached on Psalm 46, I was preaching on the compound name of the Lord, uh, Jehovah uh, Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. But a little different today. But the Lord of hosts is with us. When we think about the Lord of hosts, what I usually think of most of the time is when Elisha had been telling the king of Israel, hey, they're, they're going to capture you here. You better go around. And I, I can't remember which, uh, the Midianites. And finally, they, the king of Midian says, hey, somebody is a spy. And somebody says, no, it's Elisha. He's down there. God's telling him what you're going to do. They said, go capture him. So while Elisha and his servant are sleeping through the night, the Midianites just encamp all around them. It's, it's such a really cool scene. The next morning... His servant gets up, and you can just picture, man, he comes out of the tent, he's probably stretching, and all of a sudden he looks, and there's the Midianites, warriors all around him. He runs back in, he says, Master, what are we going to do? They're all around us. And Elisha, he never wavers. He says, Lord, open his eyes that he can see. And all of a sudden his eyes were open, and he could see the the chariots and the in the in the fire the the uh, the horses and the chariots all in the mountains all around the Midianites. He said, "There's more with us than with them." You see, we're looking at things with just our physical eyes. Somebody says, "You can't do nothing." You're just a small church; you can't do nothing. Yeah, we can, because we serve this God. We can do great and mighty and amazing things if. We're those people that are, are, are acting from spending time with God, getting to know God, understanding that He's able to do all things, even through someone like us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Listen, let me back up. The God, the Lord of hosts. We think of the angels, but I want to show you another thing. You want to talk about a God. Folks, we, we have us a God, okay? Go back to the plagues of Egypt. When he's going to deliver his, his people out of Egypt, the Lord of hosts, God can use anything. He used blood. He used frogs. He used lice. He used flies. He used disease of the livestock. He used boils. He used hail. He used locusts. He used darkness. And he used death of all the firstborn of Egypt to deliver his people. Goodness, that God is who we serve. And he can do what he pleases. How does an enemy fight against this God? If they're able to fight at all, it's only because he's, he's letting them. It's only because he's giving them a leash to do a little bit for a while. But to, uh, Listen, do you think God still uses things like that to... Lice, fleas, fleas wasn't on this list, but lice, Corey Tinboom in World War II. She's in the prison camp. Her and her sister are teaching the other women about Christ, reading the Bible, which God miraculously allowed her to get into the prison. They stripped her down naked, and somehow she gets this Bible slipped by the guards. They're in their reading the Bible, teaching them about the Lord, and the guards know it and they're not doing nothing. Why? Because they were infested with lice and fleas. 
Talk about your best life now. The God of Jacob. The God of Jacob. Justin talked on this last week. When Jacob had departed, he was fleeing from Esau, and he's going to go live with his uncle Laban. He has a dream, and in this dream, the Lord tells him this, and I'm not going to go back and read it, but look what, look, this is what God tells him. He says, I am with you. I will keep you. Wherever you go, I will bring you back to this place, and I will not leave you. Do you know what he's saying? This is our God. He's saying, I am with you. I will keep you. I will bring you back, and I will not leave you. Therefore, don't fear. And then he says, Selah, think, ponder it. This is our God. This is our God. He says, come, behold the works of the Lord. Behold the works of the Lord. He says, he makes, or who has made desolations in the earth, and he makes wars to cease, To the end of the earth. Church, do you realize that all of these calamities, all these wars and all these things that happen, do you know that they are under the sovereign design and plan of God? Every bit of it. If if you are a child of the one who is orchestrating everything, there is no need to fear. The problem is the reason we fear is because we want to add God to our life. We want the life that we have. We want our house to look like what we make it. We want all the flower beds to look right. We want this and that and blah, blah, blah. And then when something happens and it all starts falling apart, where's God? Where's God in 911? Where's God in Hurricane Katrina? God was in absolute control. God's where God's always been. See, he's the one. He says, behold his works. Justin used a word today. He said the, the, the intricacies. Man, boy, that's a tough one. Think about this. Think about when you turn a light on. Some people just, all they want to know is, you flip the switch up, the light comes on. Flip it down, the light goes off. They don't care about the intricate details. But have you ever thought just about how electricity works? I mean, when you get behind there and all the work is, you've got to run this, and there's got to be polarity, there's got to be, you know, all these things, and then you break that down to the things you can't even see, the molecules and all this stuff bouncing around, and there's some people just want to know that, hey, I flip it up, and it comes on, I flip it down, and it goes out. That's all I want to know about God. If that's your theology, I feel sorry for you. Listen. Pursue God with everything within your fiber, every part of your being. Pursue God. But I want you to know this. You will search for him. You will try to understand him for an eternity. And as much as he increases you, you will never get to the end of it. But enjoy the pursuit of God. Consider his works. And then he says this. He says he makes wars to cease. He, to the end of the earth, he breaks the bow. He cuts the spear in two. He, God, he can end everything. And then he says this. 
Be still and know that I am God. The first time we read something like that is when the children of Israel are... Pharaoh said, go, get, the last plague has happened. Leave, take everything you want, just, just leave us. He says, leave, and then he says, wait a second, what are we doing? Let's go bring them back. So God causes them to pursue after Israel. They're going to bring them back. They're not going to let him go. And they pursue him, and, and Israel is backed up against the Red Sea. And they have a mountain on one side and a mountain on the other side. They are kind of horseshoed in. There's nowhere to go. They, they're not a band of warriors. They don't have military power. They don't have swords, and they don't have things like that. They've got people. They've got children. They've got women. They've got old. They've got young. They're not ready to fight, especially against somebody that's really mad at them. And Moses says this, Stand still. And see the salvation of the Lord. When, when, when we had Tanner for those almost four years, he was our little guy we had since he's four days old. Tanner's one of these guys that's going to live life to the fullest, I'm pretty sure. He is, he is 100% whatever he's doing. But when Tanner comes unraveled and he's freaking out, and I would get him and he'd be like, and I would say, Take a deep breath. I'd go. I'd do that, and he would go. Sometimes we had to do it twice. He'd start talking again. It would just start, and I'd say, take a deep breath. Do it again. I'd say, now tell me what's going on. Just calm down. He's saying, be still. Be still and know that I'm God. Parents, we, we've, we've seen our children like that, haven't we? They get injured, they get scared, they get hurt, and they start panicking. And we're trying to get them to calm down, and they're looking every which direction but at you. And you just put your hands on their face, and you're saying, look here, just wait, just calm, be quiet, listen, trust me. God is saying, be still. And know that I am God. Church, listen to me. When the Word of God talks about knowledge will increase, I don't exactly think that meant that was a good thing. Knowledge can be good, it is good, but it can also, it has become something that actually is taking us from the Lord. I'm not talking about knowledge of God, but... There is, there is so much. Do you know what the word amusement means? It's, we use amusement in, in, a, in a good way today. It's like amusement parks, you know. Oh, that was amusing. But amusement, the word, the, the letter A is, is for ah, which means no. Muse means to ponder deeply. There's no meditating, no pondering deeply. Facebook is the picture of amusement. It's just a bunch of... Okay, I'm guilty too. There's some memes on there that I can't even start thinking about, and I'll start laughing. I mean, you don't want to see me do that because it's pretty. It looks like I'm going to die. There's nothing wrong with laughing. There's nothing wrong with with look, you know, reading things. 
But we, listen, you, you, it's not just you young kids, it's almost everybody. Nobody can have a conversation anymore without somebody going, yeah, yeah. And they're not really listening to you, they're doing this. I just want to walk over and take their phone and go, wham. Now, you want to talk? That's what I like to do sometimes. I like to carry a hammer around and just bash them. But the problem is, it's like you can't live with them, can't live without them. But our problem is, it's become our God. It's become what we do. I don't even do the one called Twitter. It's probably way too complicated for me. Then there's this other one. All it is is pictures. I don't even know how to put it. I don't even know how to take pictures and put them to my Facebook for the most part. I don't, I'm just like really technologically challenged. But that's all I see. I'll see kids sitting right beside each other. And they're going, <laughs> and I think they may be communicating like that. People are going to grow up and they're not even going to know how to communicate. They're not even going to know how to carry on a verbal conversation. I know you're probably not liking me too much right now. But what I'm trying to get you to understand is this. He says, be still and know that I am God. Do you know, do you know that God is sovereign you know, we, I'll say this a lot of times. I'll say, do you believe God's sovereign? Well, yeah, I believe God's sovereign. I said, no, do you believe that God is absolutely sovereign? You know, it's ridiculous to have to qualify sovereign. That's ridiculous. But I have to. I had a pastor tell me one time, he said, I believe that God is sovereign. He's absolutely sovereign, but I reserve the right to walk away from him when I choose to. This guy was a pastor. And I started saying, he goes, I know, I don't want to talk about it. Well, okay, you've got a really stupid idea of what sovereign is. I'm sorry. That's not sovereign. God is sovereign. His understanding was lacking. Do you believe that God is omniscient? God is all-knowing. Do you really believe that? Because if we, if we really, do, do you believe it and do you live like that? Do you believe God is sovereign and live like that? Or do we just say here in church, we attest to all the, the great doctrines of the church. We know that God is sovereign. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He knows everything instantaneously in full detail. He doesn't have to run through a file. He doesn't have to look it up. He knows it exhaustively. Get this. He knows you 1,000 times 1,000 times better than you know yourself. Do you really believe that? Do you live like that? Do you know that he's omnipotent? Meaning he's all-powerful. He's not, well, I suppose it's like this. He's not just that he's most powerful. He's all-powerful. You can actually put one of the attributes I've got real here. You can actually put infinite in front of every one of these attributes. He is infinitely sovereign. He is infinitely omniscient. He is in, uh, infinitely... What's that next one I have? All powerful. I'm just going to get rid of the omnis. And he's, he's all present. He's, he's present everywhere. He's not a rock. He's not a tree. But God knows everything. He's, you can't escape God. Do you know that about him? The real question is, do you live like you believe that, that you know that is a reality? Do you find your refuge in God? You see, the problem is we can't... I have found lately, I, even in my prayer time, 
It's just like I'm looking all around. I'm, I'm, I say I'm praying, but I'm thinking. I'm, 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 you know, I'm thinking of all these things running through my mind. I know that when people talk to me like that, kids, whatever, I'm just going to say, hey, look, you're going to have to focus right here. I don't know what you're talking about. I can just almost see the Lord like, I don't know what you're calling it. You're calling it prayer, but I don't know what you're talking about. Because I'm really getting not much out of this. Be still. He's saying, I, I want to use the word relax, but it's more than that. He said, I want you to just, I just want you to calm down. I want you to just stand right here in my presence. And I want you to focus on me. But Lord, everything's going wrong in my life. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm actually doing all that for a purpose, for a reason. See, I'm, I'm not through working you. I'm, I'm purifying you. I'm sanctifying you. We're going to go through this together. Because remember I said, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to be with you. I'm not going to leave you. And all those enemies that oppose you, you remember, you remember Sinatra, what his boastful threats were. Well, I, I can work in your life the same way. Just, just watch. Just be still and know that I'm God. Just be still and know that I'm God. And then he says this. He says, I will be exalted amongst the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Church. When we think that, I ask my wife, because here's what I usually think of. We always think about that the nations would, would exalt, the, that all the nations would exalt God. When we think of that, I always think of it like this. Taking the gospel and proclaiming the gospel to lost tribes, to people that have known the Lord through, through the preaching of St. Patrick, and now they, they're mostly atheists in Ireland. And, and taking the gospel back, that all the nations would exalt God, that He would be exalted, but guess what? There's two ways he's going to be exalted. One will be through the proclaiming of the gospel. The other will be the punishment of sin. Either way, everyone is going to bow the knee to God. Let me read this to you over here in Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah 2. Starting in verse 6, he says, For you have forsaken your people, the house of Jacob, because they are filled with the eastern ways. They are soothsayers like the Philistines, and they are pleased with the children of foreigners. Their land is also full of silver and gold, and there is no end to their treasures. Their land is also full of horses, and there is no end to their chariots. Their land is also full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands. That that which their own fingers have made, people bow down, and each man humbles himself. Therefore, do not forgive them. Does that sound like? Does that sound kind of like America? He says, "Enter into the rock and hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord and and, and the glory of His Majesty. The lofty looks of man shall be humbled, and the haughtiness of men shall be bowed down, and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day." He says, for the day of the Lord of hosts shall come upon everything proud and lofty, every, upon everything lifted up, and it shall be brought low upon all the cedars of Lebanon that are high and lifted up, and upon the base oaks of Bashan. When he's talking about the cedars of Lebanon, these are humongous trees. They're like, almost like the redwoods in California. He's talking about things that are sure and you know, majestic. He says they're going to be brought down. 
He says, upon all the high mountains and upon all the hills that are lifted up, upon every high tower and upon every fortified wall, upon all the ships of Tarshish and upon the beautiful sloops. Sloops? And he says, the loftiness of man shall be bowed down and the haughtiness of men shall be brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day, but the idols he shall utterly abolish. You think we got you think we got idols in America? Just look at the sports world. Sports world sometimes not even about which team wins, it's about which guy thinks he's the best and deserves the most money. I'm worth more than him. People fans, which is short for fanatics, they they will fight. They will I mean they'll grown men older than me. Dressing up like their favorite 22-year-old player, a kid. And just, yeah, you know. That's just the sports world. I mean, there's just that. There's, there's all kinds of things. Money, power, fame. I mean, my gosh, we got a show on TV called American Idol. I mean, is that, is that, does that just not say it all right there? And everybody wants to be the next idol somebody that everybody makes into an idol but he says i will be exalted in the earth he says i will be exalted in the nations and then he ends it with this he says the lord of hosts is with us the god of jacob is our refuge i'm gonna read one more place i think Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 29, or verse 28. He says, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, did you get that? Those, his people, everything in your life is working for your good. Everything. He says, for whom he foreknew, meaning those he set his love on from eternity. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Do you get the understanding in that verse? We have been predestined, we have been called, and we have been justified. Does anybody look glorified in here today? Some of you look closer than me. That's obvious. God is speaking as though it has already happened. And then he says this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He's not saying people won't be against you, but he's saying... What is that that's against you? What power do they really have? The worst they can do, folks, the worst they can do is take your life. To be absent from this world, from the body, is what? To be present with the Lord. You almost want to say, bring it on. Bring it on. Now, God hasn't wired us like that. If God be for us, if he is for us, who can be against us? 
God is our refuge, and he is our strength. He goes down. I'll pick back up. This is so powerful, but I'm going to pick up in 37. He just talks about all the things, the persecution, the tribulations, all these different things that we might go through. All those those mounds, those impossible, immovable, unshakable things we may go through. He says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Hebrews 13, I think it's verse 5, he tells this, he quotes that in the old, he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do to me. How well do you know God today? If you've ever been married, if you're married today, and men will get this a lot more than the women, what do we hear all the time from women? And I'm not picking on women. The lesson is men have to learn over and over and over. Talk to me. Communicate. Hmm? It's a double, double negative. I do that all the time. Here's the thing. We want communication. There's nobody that is married that has not at some point pursued their wife to get to know them. And what happens in marriage is you just stop. And you just grow apart. Marriage is just a life of continually pursuing for a man to pursue your wife. The Christian life is a continual pursuing of God. It's continually growing in Christ, being conformed to His image. And in that, we not only know it from a head knowledge, but we know it from an experiential knowledge of who our God is, to be still and know that He is God. You guys can come. He ends that last part in Psalms 46 with the word Selah, to ponder deeply. Uh, it wouldn't hurt my feelings if you went home and you looked at Psalms 46 and you looked at these things and you thought about it deeply. Do I know the God of Scripture? Do I really know what He's like? I ask people all the time, do you know that He's just? Do you know that He's holy? Do you know that He's love? Have you ever thought about just and love? Hard to put those things together. If God is just, how could he let anybody go to heaven? If God's loving, how could he send anybody to hell? All that happens at the cross.